Let's go live with Jack Kelly. Welcome to the one-of-a-kind LinkedIn live show that will help you with your job search and advancing your career. We will bring in educated career experts who will share their insights and give you inside tips on how to be successful in your job search. Now let's get into today's show with your host, Jack Kelly. Is this Mark Miller? You betcha. Mark. He even, even says that in the bottom of the screen. Good morning. How you doing? Good. So Welcome. what were you, what were you drinking there? Uh, oh, it's not what you think. It's just vodka. <laughs> no, it's, it's Dr. Pepper. Diet Dr. Pepper. I, I didn't officially introduce you, Mark Miller, the man, the legend, an <laughs> IBM executive for like twenty plus years, traveling the whole country. Worked at a bunch of startups, so he's probably like really rich, hanging out there in Mexico now, living large, having the best life ever. And now you've been for the last 10 years, a career coach advisor. How, how would you, how would you classify a career coach, career advisor? I, I, well, my, my business card says career designer. Okay. Uh, I am a, you know, I'm a recovering engineer. Yeah. This is 12 step program for that. And there I look at, I have jumped around. I have made so many career changes to make your head spin. So one of the key aspects of I, when I left my last tech startup, I kind of looked and, and I was involved in a very heavily in a job club. Well, that, mind, what, what kind of startups were you with? Cause those, oh, the, I was, those... uh, I left IBM in um, January of 2000, <clears throat> mm -hmm. went to work for Agira and Agira, we were a network processor startup. Um, our chipset today is in every LTE base station, and the chips, the chipset is owned by Intel now. Um, and uh, we were acquired by Lucent. Uh, we were the fastest startup from inception to acquisition in 18 months. Wow. Uh, now I came on very late. Um, I was employee number 40. Um, I didn't get rich, but you know, I got. I got a small six-figure retention bonus uh, after we, uh, afterwards of the 18 months after we were acquired. So mm -hmm. that left us debt-free. Uh, I left there in 2000, uh, late 2003. Mm -hmm. I had a near-fatal bicycle accident in 2002. Uh, I hit a Only car. Only 10% of the people could survive yep. that, 50 miles yep. an hour. Yep. And so... Um, and I was in Guangdong province in November of 2002 training Huawei. And that was the epicenter of SARS V1. So I have incredible timing. Um, That's interesting. Uh, so oh, you're, I, you're patient zero. I've been in the run it over here. I was in wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times I was in China during when the spy plane went down in 2002. All right, I'm starting to wonder now, Mark. Is there uh, is there something else we should know about you? I, I, I and I lived and I've lived <laughs> through all of it. Yeah. Um, mm. And then my second one was December of 2007. I joined Life Size Communications. Um, notice the timing: January of 2000, the beginning of the dot com bust, and December 2007, the beginning of the Great Recession. So basically, whenever you start a new job, I got to short the stock market. Is what you're telling me. Is that, is that, that's yeah, yeah. Um, you're the well, I had, I've had incredible timing. I wrote out both recessions at successful tech startups. Yeah. Um, life size is a Zoom predecessor. 
it's still around, although it's a, it's a fraction of what it was. We were the, we were the first, first, first company to produce true HD cameras. Uh, so, I was, so you were you were an engineer at these places, or, or I was I in both places. I was developing training and certification programs for very sophisticated products. So uh, when I was at Agira, we had a radically different programming model. Um, it was a network processor. It was for yeah. the guts of a router, um, and so. Um, I, I was, I, uh, in those days, I was training Huawei ZTE, you know, the bad boys of China. So that makes sense then, Mark, because you know what, what I find with a lot of people as a recruiter, what may not seem like a, a, a certain trajectory, when you start looking at things, they kind of, kind of coincide. Like, for instance, really what I'm hearing from you, all right, you had your know, beginning with IBM at the time, you know, for, for younger folks, they may not realize that IBM, that was... They were the big deal. They were yes. a big blue and they were everything. That was like what you aspired to be. You wanted to wear your white shirt or blue shirt and work <laughs> at IBM. And that, that was like, you made it. Um, I don't know what you would, I think maybe Amazon or Google or Apple would be kind of sort of, but even then, I don't, I think the reputation IBM had was that like, they would just hire the best, the brightest, the smartest. And yeah. And so you had that training there, which which is probably you know, world class, having an engineering background, so you're able to think critically. But as a trainer, you were able to deal with people, so that, and then working in startups, you know this kind of wild culture of like you're you know everything is going crazy and you have to keep it together. So you mat, you know you have that conservative, IBM big company mentality. You have the startups, you have the training, you have the engineering. So it brings you to where you are now being a career coach, which makes sense because you know what it's like to work in a big company. You know what it's like to work in small companies. You know what it's like to have unfortunate events happen, like a bicycle accident that, you know, left you in the hospital. Yep. And so that, you know, putting all those things together, it really, I, I could see how where you are now as an empathetic guy trying to share advice. And in your case is for people for like, for the second part of their career, the latter part of their career, and use that accumulated wisdom and knowledge and experience and skill sets to really serve others. Is that is that a fair way to introduce yeah. you? I'll also add. Um, I worked six years in an IBM briefing center, what where we were What's... we we were doing product disclosures uh, for future un unreleased products for all of IBM's top customers. The goodness of being in there was number one. It, it was phenomenally good presentation skills for training. I, you know, I was presenting 200 times a year, uh, but two, I got exposed to so many different companies and industries. And, you know, we were, you know, we were talking to all the top pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies. And, Oh, by the way, boots, the, the boots, the cat pharmacy store in the UK to, um, to little, um, we used to have bring in uh, South American companies coming in for, for product tours. Um, you know, so that gave you exposure to a oh, whole array. You know, I'll, I'll use the example. We did a, we sold, we, IBM had a half a billion dollar contract with the Bureau of Land Management for selling work, engineering workstations to, um, to essentially track it was is something called Esri, which is um, um, 
geographical information systems. Right. So this way, and, so, so it's all those experiences really got oh, yeah. you tapped into so many different industries, which you could call upon to help people out. Yeah, I mean, and speaking, one, of, and speaking of helping out, you had a survey recently, which yep. I w- really want to talk to you about, where you really delve deep into the psyche of people, what's happening in this current zeitgeist, to use a fancy word that I mispronounced. So maybe you could say a little bit about the survey, yeah. like what you found out and the kind of people that took the survey. And then not only how it applies to that demographic, but maybe how it will apply to just all demographics. Well, every year, I've been doing this nine years now, I do a survey, usually around the end of the year. And in the past, I've, I've, I sent it to my list, which is about 4,000 people. And, but I also would always put it on LinkedIn and other places. And I usually would ask, how did you find the website? You know, what, what did you like? What didn't you like? All that good stuff. This year, I decided I'm only sending it to my list. And I asked, obviously, the simple questions, basically age range, gender, um, and then I started asking big open-ended questions. And they were things like, how, is, how has the pandemic affected your career? The other one was, how has the pandemic affected your quality of life? This and, is, I don't mean to interrupt you. This is, these are people, I know you, you mentioned about living, being in, in Austin, Texas, living in Mexico, but this is across the board, right? People this living- is across, This across the US. Um, across, the, okay. The, Actually, my biggest um, my biggest subscribers come out of the New York metropolitan area. Okay. Okay. So it's and I've and I've I've had people on my list for six, seven, eight years, and so um, and so I I got a hundred and ten responses, and over half about half the people were in the fifty five to sixty five range. Mm-hmm. And which is, which for my blog tends to be the sweet spot. And then I asked, okay, how has this affected your career? And normally in past, in the past, I've asked questions about what your employment status is. And I usually will end up with somewhere between a 10 to 20% unemployed, unemployed or underemployed. Because these are usually people who later in life, they're, they're on my website because they're looking for a job. Or they're trying to figure it out. This time, the unemployment un, uh, underemployment rate was w- well over fifty percent. That they they claim that they're unemployed fifty percent. Yes, uh, or underemployed. Oh, there not? there are some people who are doing odd jobs on the side. They've taken temporary jobs. Um, some people. Um, I had a I don't know, six or seven people who said they retired. See, 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 this is interesting that you bring this up, Mark. Just to put to if you don't mind to amplify that, that's something I take exception with the the, the, the uh, monthly job reports. And, and I write about that on Forbes every month is because the, the numbers aren't really accurate because if you're an example you're giving, you're 55 years and older and you lost your job, but now you're working, let's say, and there's nothing wrong with this. There's a Walmart greeter or, or, or in Home Depot to get some money coming in to get health benefits. You're, you're employed does that really count? I mean, there should be accounting for a, you know, your background, your experience, and the quality of job you have. It's it's almost like being unemployed yeah. to a certain degree. So it's it's like a head fake. So the numbers look good because 
you know, Joe Smith is technically employed, but Joe Smith is miserable. He doesn't want to do that. He was an engineer. And for whatever reason, he lost his job and he can't get it back because of ageism. So it's, that's it's, it's worse than that. Yeah. There are probably 3 million older Americans who've been displaced who are not counted because they're not looking for a job and they're not on unemployment. Yep. Fall off the radar. Right. right they, they just they fall have, right off the radar. The, um, yeah. Uh, I interviewed my, I joked my cousin, the other Mark Miller, um, and he, he has the retirement revised podcast and newsletter. And um, Mark was talking about the fact that somewhere in the neighborhood of three and a half million folks who are um, 55 and above who've been essentially, they've disappeared off the employment rolls. And the prediction is it may go up to 5 million. And these are largely people that will be forced into early retirement. And I mean, it's, but when I, when I saw that number, I went, wow, because this is, this is a significantly different than what I surveyed late last year. Frightening, right? You, you, you know, you, yeah. you, you see this and it's like. And then I asked, okay, how has this affected your quality of life? Now, by the way, about 10% of the respondents, and, and I had 95 full respondents who gave, filled mm -hmm. out the entire survey. Um, and about 10% of them said, my quality of life has actually improved. Um, and they're basically saying, I'm not commuting anymore. Now, these people are largely working. Um, they said, you know, I have more time with my wife and my kids. My life has slowed down. Which for a lot of us, and I said, I'm 64. I want life to slow down. I mean, <laughs> you want to I, go backwards. You want to go in reverse. Well, I'll put it this way: I left my last tech startup in 2011 because I worked for a sociopath. I was stressed out. My yeah. blood pressure was over the top, and I was 56, and I said, I ain't doing this no more. And and for some people who have been really stressed. This break has actually been good. In fact, I talked to a guy yesterday who's going to be coming into my community. He, um, he's been in the alcohol, sorry, he's been in the sexual abuse counseling business his entire career. Um, and he's essentially the nonprofit he worked for is kind of shut down. And uh, he's going, you know, he's had a nice six months of off time. He's been fixing stuff around the house. Things have slowed down. And this has been good for him. It's healthy for him. He says, but the problem is, is he probably will suck being in retirement. Um, you know, I don't want to retire. Um, I don't want to do nothing. Um, so it, um, so there, there, there are people who this has benefited. But then when I asked the other 90%, the words that popped up, that popped up over and over again, was isolation and isolated and being alone. And last month, my wife and I made a quick trip back to Austin from here outside of Guadalajara, Mexico. And when we drove back, I joked the fact that first Friday night, this is the end of September, we were in Austin, went to our favorite restaurant in, 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 on 2nd Street downtown in Austin. And uh, numero 28, Owners greeted us and uh, they knew we were coming and I'm sitting outside and I'm looking around and I felt like a dinosaur. 
everybody was under 40. Most people were under 30. Now, mentally, they were masked up. They were behaving themselves. Um, we walked over to Trader Joe's afterwards. Everybody in there was young. And by the way, someone's young when I'm old enough to be their father. It's, it's, it's Mark, my, uh, my parents have both passed away, but my dad would always refer to someone who might say, oh, yeah, that kid or... Yeah, young guy. I'm like, dad, you're like 57. That's not, that's, not, <laughs> that's not a kid. You know, so it changes your, your your perspective. But let me kind of dial back a second for what you're saying. Sure. Because I, I I hear the same thing in terms of from people. We we started recruiter, which is um, driven by what was happening in the pandemic to get people together to help them out, to help crowdsource ideas, to get leads for jobs. We'll have these we meet up calls where people could ask and you know myself and others could give answers job search tips and what have you to help out and, and oftentimes it's a place where people just commiserate and feel better that they're not in it alone so i i do hear that from people that on one side it's interesting to your point that the quality of life is different it's almost like even if you're in between jobs a lot of the stress of the daily commute and the grind and everything is, is off. There's, it's replaced by another fear of like, oh my God, I gotta get a job, but it changes. Or if you have a job, even though you're not happy, but you're working from home. So as you pointed out, you know, you have, you're with your family, because my kids were home for school for the longest time because the college is shut down. So you can see that, but what I get worried about, and I'm really curious what you think about is, Let's say you're 55 years old and you say, okay, my quality of life, but it's, it's not so bad. I'm, it's, you know, some isolation, it's tough. What happens if they can't get back on track and the stock market has been on fire. So maybe if some, you know, they have investments, they're like, all right, my net worth is okay. But what if there's a sell-off? What if there's a crash? They can't get a job back and we live longer now. So that 55 year old can conceivably live to 85, 95. Or hundred. I don't think that's being unrealistic nowadays. To me, that's frightening. Like, what is going to happen to that segment of the population? And more so, we all talk about different types of discrimination. But the only thing we have in common is that we get old, and we're all going to be there. So this is this is like something we could all agree on and unite behind. Like, hey, what do we? So what do you think? What do you think is going to happen? What do we do about that? Well, it's interesting. One of the th claims when I was reading through all the survey results. And I, by the way, I sent it to my VA who's in Florida and she's in her early to mid forties. And she said, wow, um, these are a lot of pessimistic people. And I'm going, no, these are a lot of people who are in hard places. Be realistic the, about their situation. Yeah, this is their yeah situation. they're very realistic. Yeah. And one of the key aspects is, um, and this is, this is, um, as you get into older baby boomers, particularly those in their late 60s, one of the things, one of the, the after effects of our growing up was the Vietnam War. Those who were born in the late, four, late 40s, early 50s were affected far more by the Vietnam War. And one of the things that happened is many of them delayed marriage and household formation. And the way that shows up is I, I know 65-year-olds and 70-year-olds who still have kids in college, i.e. obligations, yeah. which you, you obviously understand. Mm -hmm. and, well, too much, uh, Mark. So yeah. topic. <laughs> yeah. Because, well, because as a sideline, so 
you're still paying crazy tuition and you're taking online classes. Yes. Or they close down the school and you still got to pay for an apartment where they're not going to. So that's yeah. just me ranting for a little bit. So I get well, off my chest. We could go back. <laughs> so, so one of the things is the whole concept between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. You know, a fixed mindset says, I have a problem. Damn it. I have a problem. Right. Versus a growth mindset is, oh, I got a problem to solve. Let's go solve it. And it's for a lot of these people, one of my mantras has always been, I, I was raised to be an employee, to go work for a father-like company that would take care of me. Mm-hmm. And after 30 or 40 years, I would ride off into the sunset and retire with a pension. And of course, when I graduated from college, I followed what my parents told me to do. I went to work for the Borg, I mean, IBM. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was assimilated. Resistance was futile. Uh, but I'd never owned a white shirt. And I never no. owned white Was it right? It was white or blue shirts, right? That was the standard. I, I did not own any of them. Of course, no. I, worked, I worked in the lab. And by the time I got into sales and marketing, that was all gone. But nonetheless, it was um, the mindset was... I go work for somebody and I'll have employment for life. And so therefore me thinking I'm going to go work for myself or I have to, um, I have to, I don't have that secure paycheck. When I left my last tech startup, it probably took me 18 months before I stopped waking up in the middle of the night going, I don't have a paycheck anymore. Right. And this is this pandemic from a career perspective is throwing everybody out of their comfort zone. Um, Even those that are still employed are working from home. Um, You know, they may be spending too much time with their kids and their spouses. Um, If they're younger, they may have kids running around. I've known, you know, when I was back in Austin, um, I ran into a, we, we use a, a friend of ours house as a, as a home base. That's where our mail goes. And her neighbor was a young woman with two small kids and she quit her job so she could um, be with her kids and help them get through the distance. Learning, yeah. Right. So, so it's dislocating so many people, 800,000 Mark. I read that 800,000 women have, have, kind of gave up their jobs because they couldn't do their job and help kids with these clunky online classes. And yeah. you're right, it's, it's affecting across the board. But back to, let me ask you this, but back to those who 55 and older who fall off that, you know, that you know, fall off the train. And in my opinion, I think there's a lot of ageism out there. I think not only is it ageism, but the intersection between being a certain age and earning a certain amount of money so that companies are saying, hey, why should I hire Jack when I'm going to have to pay him X amount to work in New York City, where I could find somebody in Florida, in Salt Lake City, in wherever, in a different country, pay them a fraction. And that's what we could do. Or well, here's a disturbing trend, too, that's both good and bad, Mark. Now with this, everybody became acclimated to work from home and companies are comfortable with that. And even though they say they'll probably go back to some sort of hybrid, that means companies can recruit anywhere. So now that 55-year-old who lives in wherever they live, yeah, maybe you could apply to different jobs in different states, but now you're gonna be competing with everybody. 
and that's going to be harder. So like what I'm concerned about, what I'm really afraid of is to your point from your study is what do you do if you have 40 more years left in your life, 30 more years, and you don't have an income coming in and, you know, let's say you see inflation price goes up. What do you do? Well, it's, it's a matter of the economy is shifting so much and well, look what I'm doing. I'm running an online membership site. I've created a community. Um, by the way, I'm doing it all from outside of Guadalajara, Mexico. Um, you know, my costs are negligible. Because um, one of the things there was, uh, I, just, I just published a podcast episode with Chris Farrell. And uh, he's an economist and a, a personal finance expert. And one of the things we talked about was the fact that this, this year, 2020, the number of tax IDs requested by U.S. citizens is up 97%. Tax IDs for businesses, right? Is that what yes, you mean? This, that no, it's they need, yeah, they need entrepreneurship is, is through the roof. So, so what you're saying basically is like yourself to say, all right, I could, I could feel bad about myself. And I could just look at all the negatives, or I could say, "All right, f it. I got to figure something out." And I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at my skill sets. And just as we talked earlier, you know, the beginning of the podcast, looking at all the skills, your background, your experience, and say, "How can I kind of put them together, and and switch over to something else?" And in your case, it's to offer, you know, career designs and advice and guidance. And then for other people, they're gonna have to do the same thing to to, to survive, and maybe even, and then hopefully thrive, and maybe find a calling later in life. Yep. So I was just talking to a woman. Um, I was, I will eventually have her on my podcast. Um, mid fifties. She's a chiropractor. Start just became a chiropractor. Or? No, she's been a chiropractor uh, for 25 years. Mm -hmm. Well, chiropractor is really hard these days. Uh, she shut her, she shut her business down for five months. And, um, and, and what she's doing is she's starting a online business around teaching skills to millennials, uh, you know, life skills. And she's building a YouTube channel. Um, and, you know, you could do that. Adulting classes. I think. Yes. Adulting it. classes. <laughs> um, I, I, I've had on my podcast, there's a young couple that uh, drives around Mexico. They've been lately, they haven't been driving around, but they, uh, they call themselves tangerine travels. They, draw, they have a tangerine color Prius mm -hmm. and um, they're YouTubers. And they, they were, they, for the last two years, they've been creating videos on their travels um, and, and they're making enough money to live on. So, so what you're saying is what, for people who are watching this, you know, who be watching this is that one thing to do is to kind of have an entrepreneurial mindset and, and, and think, what can I do to earn some money? But also, what could I do to just have meaning and purpose and do something you like doing? Because you clearly love what you do. It shows. Yeah. It's really obvious. So I think, you know, find something that you like to do, you have the skills for it, go with that. What, what's it, do you think for those, for those people, particularly your, 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 your audience, can they get back into a, 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 a traditional job once they fall off or is that going to be hard? What, what do you think? Um, there's no question it'll be hard. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the traditionally the way they're going to do job search is not the way you traditionally done it. Yeah. Um, I had um, the quote I've, I've been using is uh, Lisa Wrangle with Chameleon Resumes, um, who's up up in your way. And she, she basically, I asked her on one of my podcast episodes, what are you seeing people who are being successful? And she says, oh, these are people who are operating without a playbook. In other words, they've taken the old playbook, thrown it away because we're living in, in many industries, they're living in chaos and going, okay, what else can I do? And I'll, I'll use the, I, I've got Sarah, who's late 40s, occupational therapist, um, working in a, in a hospital up in the Northeast. And she knew that basically the hospital was going to declare bankruptcy. And she wanted to get back into higher ed. She'd been in massage school, had been a counselor in massage schools previously. And one, and she'd been working that and realized that higher ed right now is in chaos. And she needed to go find a job. So what'd she do? She started looking around, where am I am transferable? Well, who wants people with occupational therapist skills? Well, she found a, a medical device company that makes some kind of comp- medical compression device. Mm-hmm. I don't quite understand that she's actually was certified in previously in the area where this, this, this was, is used. And she now just hired, got hired on as a trainer to t- teach people over video. Well, they were doing that last year. <laughs> um, or I'll use another example, like another woman in my online community, 62, she got hired into a telehealth organization. Well, telehealth has exploded. Um, and so it's looking at, okay, where are my skills transferable? One of the key things is also, once you figure that out, you've got to have, know how to retell your story. If for your listeners, if you go back and find, uh, the, I have an interview with Gary O'Neill, who's a recruiter in Austin, mm-hmm. talking about how he was talking about if you've got to create a career story that people get. And sometimes that means a lot of times for those of us who are <clears throat> a little, um, you know, I'm follically challenged, um, is learning that there's some stuff you got to take out. Or you have to translate the language into what's new. But by the way, you need to be able to explain it that people get. And by the way, usually doing that all by yourself is really hard. But it's, in, in I'll use an example, Gary talked about, he had a woman who was, uh, she had been an event planner uh, had done all kinds of things international. She'd been in Austin, was looking for a job, and he's basically going, she talked about all this international experience he, she had. And nobody in Austin gave a crap about that. And Gary told her, you need to stop talking about that. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they think it's important to you, which it obviously is, but it's if you want to get hired, it's not relevant. So it's learning how to craft that story it's, it's similar. I've, I've been interviewed a number of times about how to take a step back. 
know, sometimes, sometimes you got, you simply have to say, I'm going to take a lower level job. And if you just apply through an applicant tracking system, you're probably going to lose every time. You're overqualified. But if you have a good story and the person who's the hiring manager or the recruiter knows that story and saying, here's why I want to take this step back. So, so let's say if, you, if I could just yeah. kind of frame it from what you're saying. So for people, and I think this advice, tell me if I'm wrong, could apply, doesn't have to apply to just the people who did your survey who are at a certain age demographic, but it could apply across the board. So one would be thinking entrepreneurial and, and, and as we talked about just before, to find the skills, what you could do, et cetera, and kind of go that direction. Another could be to find areas, hey, assess what skills you have, your background, your education, whatever certifications, whatever degrees, accreditations, that would lend itself to an area that might be hot and growing and see if you could take those and pivot. But then I think also, and tell me if I understand correctly, in addition to that, you're gonna have to tell your story. You can't just say, hey, and show up, I'm here. You have to weave a narrative to, to really sell the hiring manager on why you worked in hospitality, but now you want to go into you know, telemedicine, why your skills would cross over, why would they make sense? And be able to really sell yourself. Yeah, well, and I'll use I'll use the example. Gary had a story about a guy who um, uh, he'd been in quality assurance for um, aircraft manu uh, manufacturing, um, jet, jet fighter planes. Uh, in other words, he was he, he was he understood what how to do re very repetitive, boring stuff do detailed reports because it's a highly regulated industry and he wanted to get into software quality assurance and there's one company that gary was working with has it was it was it was around pharmaceuticals highly regulated mm -hmm. and uh, when gary submitted his resume over the, the hiring managers kicked it back this guy doesn't know anything about software and he and he helped the guy re frame himself in the fact that no he knows how to do detailed boring testing and the problem the pharmacy the software company was having was the fact that the there were tons of options on the screen and they someone had to repetitively go through and check every single last one and things were falling through falling through so here you have a guy who's used to doing boring repetitive tasks documenting them and when you when when Gary helped him reframe him that way, the hiring manager went, "Oh, yeah, I get it now." But the hiring manager is not going to be able to do that translation for the right. Right. So 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 this is another point I think that's a really smart point you're bringing up too, is that sometimes you need help and you need someone to be your advocate, and it could be a recruiter who knows the field that either you were in or want to go in knows the players, knows the people, and can really champion your cause. So that, because a recruiter, they're compensated if you make a placement, if yep. you're a contingency. And the kind of people you're talking about, for the most part, probably would have contingency recruiters. So yep. their motivation is, if they place me or you, they're gonna get a placement fee. So, and usually it's 20, 25% of the base annual salary. So there's a high motivation to make it happen. So if you have someone, a recruiter who really knows the insiders, they could say, Hey, Mark, 
listen, I know Susan doesn't have exactly what they're doing. She has this, that, the other thing, but here, listen, this is why I think she'd be awesome for you and, and do it. And then you might be like, all right, Jack, let me talk to her. And yep. you get the foot in the door and you hope it works. The second part you mentioned before too, which I think is really brilliant, is that you don't have to go it alone, that if you know people who know people at that organization you're interested into, you leverage that network, same as a recruiter puts in a good word, they'll put in a good word for you. So it's one thing to send the resume, but it's another thing if you have one or two people as insiders who go to you and say, Mark, you know what? George is really good. You should take a look at his resume. And then someone else says, you know what? George told me he's applying here. I would speak to him. Then you're going to think, all right, let, let me check it out. So, so these are kind of things, the entrepreneurial thing, the kind of pivoting, the um, leveraging recruiters, people in your network to get you in. So these seem like some themes that you're mentioning that would help out. Not, yeah. you know, really this would apply across the board, no matter what age, whatever sector, whatever you're doing, right? Yeah, I've I've presented for a number of years at Product Camp Austin, product managers. And one of the things I always talked to, these are usually younger people in their 30s, maybe early 40s. And when you're out looking for a job, the one thing is you have to do is you have to go ask. You got to ask for what you want. And by the way, when you ask for what you want, very often it's it's asking for things that are simple for people to do. So I use the example um, there was a job opening at a client and it was at Capital Metro, which is Austin's transit authority. I know the chief of staff to the CEO. And so I just sent a note to him, Gerardo, um, Elizabeth here is looking at this job. Who can she talk to? So what did he do? He took that email, copied Elizabeth and me, and forwarded it to the hiring manager. And Elizabeth had a phone call within 15 minutes because it came from the chief of staff of the CEO, right? Notice what I asked was very easy. I didn't ask him, can you talk to her? Can you give her some help? I said, who, who, who can she talk to? And, and all he has to do is forward it on. Right. Right. So very often it's understanding. And if you don't ask, you don't get. I think I think that's kind of a superpower, Mark, that people don't realize that we all have inside because it's uncomfortable for a lot of people to ask someone to help. You feel a sense of weakness if you have to reach out and say, help me. But I, I, I would suggest and I agree with you wholeheartedly, just the opposite that you want to be out, go out there and just politely but persistently ask for the help. Hey, go if you know that person for the CEO, say, hey, can you help my friend out? Can you hook the person up? And I've always found out things like that boil down to, you know, it's, it's a cliche, actually. You know, you knock on enough doors, something will open. But it's true. Sometimes cliches are because it happens. And and I think I think a lot of people don't do that. I think particularly, I've been curious about your, your, your thoughts on this as well. I think what happens if you're in between jobs or you're worried about losing your job and just worried about COVID and everything, you lose your self-esteem, you lose your confidence, you get worried, you get scared, you get anxiety-ridden, and then it becomes hard to do anything. And yep. then you're scared to do anything. But if you actually reach out, it's kind of more empowering. You know, you reach out and, and you go and you ask for it because the worst that happens, they say no. Yep. Okay. 
you know worse off than you were. So they say, no, okay. Do you know anybody? <laughs> then you can always follow it up with, okay, Mark, I know you can't help me, but do you know anyone? Yep. Now you can say, you know what? I do know someone, whatever. Or you say, no, I don't. I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, hey, yep. and then you can always be polite. Hey, Mark, you know what? That's cool. But if, hey, if there's anything I could ever do, I'm glad we met. Let's keep it, you know, doors open. And I think that's a really good piece of advice you're offering to people because I see I see how it works. And I can tell you, as a recruiter, you know, right, you know, being a CEO of a search firm, and it's just you got to ask for stuff. You know what? You can't you can't you can't hope someone's going to find you and help you out. Anything you do, you just have to you know you have to go for it. You have to ask. You have to push. You have to risk being embarrassed because they'll say no, or you have the door door slammed not the literal door, but a door slammed in your face. But if you keep doing that, then after a while you get thick skin and you build resiliency and it doesn't really matter. You should just sh you know, shake it off. And I know I'm making it sound easy and we both know it's really hard to do, but once you start doing it, it's like, all right, whatever. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting in, uh, I have an acronym that I stole uh, called asking for air. Mm -hmm. You ask for advice, insights and recommendations. So number one, you don't go, you know, I'm looking for a job. You got a job? Mm -hmm. So you just froze up on me. Oh, did I? And so one of the key aspects is, um, I'm going to let this go through because I'm, you're frozen for me. Am I? Oh, no. Let's give it a second. There, you're back. Okay. So um, one of the key aspects is when you ask for advice, it's a compliment. People don't turn you down. Um, then you ask for their insights. What, what do they see? But the key piece is to ask for their recommendations. Uh, what do you think I'd do next? Who should I talk to next? Um, are there a couple of people you can introduce me to? Mm -hmm. um, so ask for that. The other piece is in this world of COVID, we're all working from home. Um, and one of the things I've taken to do is I just pick up the phone and start calling people. Um, you know, over the last nine months, I can't tell you number of people I just, and, and, and it's nothing more than saying, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. um, when we were back in Austin, I had probably a dozen calls with either calls or met face to face yes we socially distanced and did it outside because all these people were over 60 and going how you doing and because uh, empathy goes a long way and one of the things that you quickly find is when i've made these phone calls and i just pick just everyone says thank you for calling now when i was back in austin everybody i met with almost all of them had been stuck inside for the last, since March. And I was gone. And which came through in spades mm -hmm. in, in my survey. And I'm going, this isn't healthy. So therefore, what are you going to do to get social interaction? By the way, one of the things <laughs> I have a friend back in Austin who was explaining that the fact that the collision rates on the highway are up, yet traffic is down because people are forgetting how to drive. That's so interesting. I thought you were going to say that they're down because less people are driving and- yeah, No, because when people get out, they're not, they're, 
they have, it, wow that's it was it was it was interesting when we crossed the border last month that's like a freakonomics if you ever yeah. forget, that's like a statistic that you were like wow it doesn't make sense and then you think about it oh yeah it does make sense it makes perfect yeah. sense well think about if you don't socialize yeah you you lose that muscle it atrophies it atrophies so how are you going to do that now maybe Wait, can I, can that I, speaking of that okay do you find this i don't i don't think this was in your study but I'm curious i've noticed a trend too because the job market up until fairly recently was pretty robust we had record low unemployment and speaking to a lot of job seekers they haven't used those interviewing muscles and it was shocking how they couldn't give a elevator pitch who they are they couldn't articulate what they want and they're almost helpless so you bring up a good point about when you don't do it you lose that and then it's hard to get back do you, do you see that is that something common yes yeah oh yes in fact um i was talking to one guy uh, who I've known for years. And I'm saying, why aren't you just reaching out to people? He says, yeah, I know I should do that. He won't. Yeah. Um, and some of it is, I have a chapter in my book on MSU disorder. MSU stands for make stuff up. Yeah. Um, he's, he's worried, I suspect, that people are going to look down on him because he's, you know, and, and by the way, the gentleman was 67. He's been unemployed for two years, but then again, he spent the last two years dealing with a very, very ill mother mm. um, up in North Texas. And so he's, that, that has kept him very busy. And, um, and by the way, that's one of the things I, I can't tell you the number of people I have known who are dealing with elderly parents. And if they were working full time in a really stressful job, they would have been totally, yeah. they would have been basket cases. Um, and, you know, I, I went through that in my forties. My mom was almost 40 when I was born. So for the mid 1950s, that was unheard of. So I went through reverse parenting at a very young yeah. age. So, um, but yeah, it's a, it, it's a, people are worried. And so you, you've got to go exercise those muscles. What, what other things did you find out in the study? What other interesting things? Um, number one, the, the, besides the isolation, I was really surprised at the number of people who, uh, who were self-employed and were mm -hmm. still self-employed, but they're having a really hard time finding clients. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, I would love to know, and I, I got 24 people who said they talked to me. So I'm going to, I'm off soliciting them and I must record short pieces with them for my podcast. I think that stuff like that is so helpful but to get. I also find a lot of these things. people don't know how to um, essentially sell in this, in, in this, yeah. in this new environment. Cause you know, we running your own business, um, You've got to be able to go sell. Absolutely. You got to, you got to, you know what? It's, it's like, you have no choice. If you want to do a podcast, you got to learn what, what mic, you know, what mic to buy. You know, I, I now I use headphones because sometimes I've been finding out I get too much feedback. You got to learn how to do that. 
you got to learn how to just reach out and ask people, hey, come on. You have to know how, if you can't build a website, you have to hire people to help build a website. So yeah, it's just, you just have to have that attitude of like, okay, I, I got to make things happen no matter what. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that my, I hired a business coach for the first four or five years I was in business. And one of the things she beat into me was understand what you know how to do and what you don't know how to do. Yes. That's key. And two, what do you like to do and what don't you like to do? And the things you don't like to do and you're not good at, find somebody else to do. That was really good advice because I, right? I didn't have a business coach, but I learned it by trial and error. Yep. And, and that was kind of a big mantra of mine. I find out, you know, I, what I like to do, even though I, I, you know, as a CEO, I was a CEO of the company, I ran a recruiting desk because I was a better recruiter than a manager. And I, and I think a lot of mistakes people make is like, let's say in baseball, you can have someone who's a great player and you make them a manager and they're just horrific. Yeah. So I figured, you know what? Put my ego aside. I wouldn't tell people I'm the CEO or whatever. I would be just like, you know, radio recruiter because I was better at that than I was managing. So I let other people manage. And even till now, I have people who are way better and smarter than me in different areas. And I say, go run with it. I'll do what I do best. You know, which is like the marketing, the sales, you know, you know, the creative aspect of things and what have you. But then you have the other people who have different skill sets. So you could really, you know, you could really, everyone could run what they do best. So I think she gave me some really good advice. Too bad I didn't have someone to tell me I had to learn all this <laughs> by trial and error, though. Yeah, I mean, you, you're going to have to figure out where, where do you want to plug in? Yeah. And more importantly, at this point in life, what the hell do you want to do? Uh, I don't want to go back into the corporate world. I don't want to work for the man anymore. I couldn't see doing that either. Um, I, could, I can't. I want to. I could imagine going to be a big company. I, I don't know. I guess maybe depends, but I can't see that happening. No. And, and you talked about the fact that many of us will work into our 70s and 80s. And there's some people who shudder at that. And I'm going, but if I'm loving what I do, uh, it's not work. And so um, reaching a point where I'll use example, we, we moved to Mexico primarily for health insurance and healthcare. Um, and I don't have any financial issues anymore. Oh, you know what? Can I ask you this? So this is not, you know, we were talking all about, about that survey, but I, I'm really curious about this. I think a lot of people be curious too, because you always see these articles, these pieces about, hey, here are the best places to relocate when you retire. Here's the best places when you're such and such age. So you're in Guadalajara, Mexico. And I don't mean to pry. So if this is, you know, too invasive, don't say, how is it? Is it like compared, you know, you're from New Jersey. So, and, and you were in Austin, lived in Austin for a long time. How is it compared to buy a house there, taxes, everything? Okay. Number one, taxes are insignificant. Um, for running my business down here, if I'm out of the country for 330 days, 11 months, uh, I don't pay income taxes in the first $109,000. I still pay, I have to pay unemployment insurance, social security. Because you're still a U.S. citizen, even though you're yep. living. And, I, and in my business is all in the U.S. and Canada. Right. And so all the money gets routed through there. Uh, I live in paradise. Uh, the average temperature here year round is 72 degrees. 
A lot of people will tell you, oh, you're stupid for living in Mexico because it's so dangerous. And, you know, I, when I went back for my 45th high school reunion back up in Joyce, mm-hmm. um, and I was, um, I had people read me the riot act about, you know, I was living in someplace so dangerous. And I said, yeah, well, where you live is dangerous, really dangerous because there are all these murders on the South side of Chicago. Well, it has nothing to do with us. I said, neither does where I live. Yeah. I live in one of the safest places in Mexico. In fact, my son and daughter-in-law both work for the Navy. They both have secret and top secret security clearances. They both read us the riot acts when we said we're moving to Mexico. And then well, because they they're out. thinking, you know, in the stereotype areas that could be dangerous. Yeah. But it's like so, anywhere else, right? You depend, and you take any city and you're going to have great wealth, great poverty in between, right? It's the same all over, basically. Well, I'm... I'm lucky in my career, I worked in 40 different countries. I can, I can, so I can culturally integrate. And so with Mexico, it's, it's more of an expat place where you are, right? Where I am, it's a big, it's a huge expat community. Now, um, next year, Susan Leahy and I'll be writing a book on how to become an expat. Now, Susan right now has moved to Porto, Portugal. That's one Uh, on the list. That's on one of the, (laughs) one of the places, which Portugal is beautiful. It's yes. so cool. The beaches are amazing. Well, the interesting one there, I just talked to her this last weekend, um, and she was saying that um, the, the, the Portuguese largely, they're very compliant people. So they wear masks, you know, they, they, they behave themselves. And so therefore, they have a relatively low COVID rate. And she can st- she's still taking her surfing lessons. And she's, you know, um, and so... And she's got uh, Portuguese healthcare, um, and she's got a certain type of visa that allows her to work there. You have to learn the language, though. Or do they speak uh, it, it's it's very helpful. So one of the things we're going to do is write a book on how to do this, not step by step because it's different in every country, but the decision points that you have to make. And one of the key aspects, I when before we did this, I remember reading an Ecuadorian expat book where we thought we were going to move to. Um, they basically said, if you decide to become an expat and you go someplace and you live like a local, you work on speaking like a local, you eat like a local, you transport like a local, you'll ha- live a happier, healthier, and longer life. If you go there, don't want to learn the language, uh, live like an American, eat like an American, transport like an American, you'll pay for it. And you'll pay for it in money, health, and longevity. And where I am here, there are stores that cater to the gringo community. You can buy all the packaged, crappy packaged food that you can get in, in the stores in the U.S. you can get here. I got a Costco within 45 minutes. Of so me. let's say for a house, right? What, how? I'm would, not buying a house here. Let's say you did. Let's say someone buys a house. What, well, how would it be compared? Because that's a big expense for most people. It, it's a, it's much cheaper. Yeah. It's typically much cheaper. And, and uh, you know, um, there are no mortgages. So you got to pay cash. Oh, really? Yes. Mortgages are a Western US and European concept. No mortgages. I didn't. There are no mortgages. 
So how do people buy houses? Just it, they they're don't, passed really. down from family to, to, from generation wow. to generation. So if it's you want so if you want to buy a house, because here's Mark, here's what I'm thinking too, because you really opened my eyes to something. I wonder, you know, sometimes, and you you said this to me before about looking where things are going. And I wonder if you play out how things are going and people living longer, and it might be, you could, it might see a lot of people have be underemployed, unemployed, chronically unemployed, and have to make their money last. You could see the wave of people saying, hey, you know what? I can't live in Boston. I can't live in New York City. I can't live in LA, San Fran. And then now I can't even live in other states. Let me go to Guadalajara, Mexico because my money will go further. And that could be a big trend. So you would need oh, to buy is. an all in cash though, that which that could be tough for a lot of people though. But I guess you could rent or you could have- Yeah, I mean, we rent. Uh, I own my condo back in Austin. That throws up enough money to, to pay for my yeah. rent down here. Um, again, one of the key aspects when you go overseas, you have to throw all of your concepts of yeah. how life should be from the U.S. and you need to throw them away. So one of the, it's very common for couples to move abroad and get divorced. One, one wants to be near the grandkids. One yeah. doesn't, um, uh, one of the advantages of living where we do, I'm 40 minutes from the Guadalajara airport. Um, class example, in late February, my, my, my wife's mother, or her, her, sorry, her father went into an ICU in Longview, Texas, east, far east Texas. I was able to get, for the next day, a $1,000 round trip ticket to Shreveport. You know, next day. Um and that went through Houston, you know, total flight time, five hours. Um, and so, you know, when we were other places like Ecuador, where it, it's, it's a real, it, it, every flight is a, is a, is a red eye, both coming and going. Yeah. And it's just, it's, um, Susan, who's in Porto, her kids are, when she, her kids were in, um, in Austin, they're moving to Chicago. If she goes to Austin, it's a flight from Porto to Frankfurt to Atlanta to Austin. Mm -hmm. With her kids moving to Chicago, her two youngest are moving to Chicago. Um, it's a Porto to Lisbon and a seven-hour flight to, to Chicago. A lot easier. So one of the things you have to say is, okay, if something bad happens or I need to go, can I, can I do it affordably? And can I do it in a, in a reasonable amount of time? Um, but it's 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 a lot more complicated than you think. Yeah. And I always tell people, if the immigration officer tells you to stand on one foot, stick one foot, one, one finger in one ear and take the other finger and stick it up your nose, do it and smile while you're doing it. Well, that wouldn't happen with US immigration. Oh, U.S. immigration are brutal. So, hey, let me ask you: what, What's any of the last pieces of advice from this that you've derived from the survey that you think would be the, helpful? The key, the key piece is is mindset. Mm -hmm. This is this is not going away anytime soon. We are the the my audience is in the prime folks to catch if they catch the virus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, most of these people do not want to go back in the office. You're going to have to get scrappy. You're going to have to develop a plan for the next year and say, how am I going to do this? And so just like Lisa Wrangle says, you got to throw the playbook out. Yes, you're going to have to throw everything you've done in the past. You're going to have to throw it out and re come up with a new strategy. And as, as there was a very good article talking about lifeboat jobs. And so sometimes, you know, when a ship is sinking, you got to get off and get in the lifeboat. So maybe that's going to work for Starbucks or Costco that pay part-time, that pay health insurance for part-time employees. Um, maybe it's, maybe it's taking a step back and do something less. Yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's going to work for state or county government. And you say, well, geez, that's a step down for me. Well, you may have to do that for a couple of years. And in fact, I've got a gentleman I've been informally coaching uh, up there in New Jersey who got laid off. He was a, he was an IT guy desktop um, with one of the major pharmaceutical companies and got laid off. And he finally decided in his mid fifties, I'm just going to go take a job with the state. Took about a 40% pay cut, but you know what? He doesn't look at his computer on weekends. Doesn't that sound great? <laughs> yeah, so it does sound really the essence is you have to change your perspective and that's business as usual is not business as usual. Things have changed. You have to change with it. Throw out that rule book, have that internal strength, courage to move forward, embrace all the uncertainty, embrace the unknown, easier said than done, but just keep doing it. You have to ask for the order, whether it's someone to get you a job, to get you a lead, to get you in the door. You have to be open to pivoting, to making a transition. You have to be opening, open to maybe trying the entrepreneur route. So it's a time period where you could either, it's, it's almost boils down to do different career, two paths. One is you could just give up, which really isn't an option, or the other is to say, all right, I'm going to maybe start a business. I'm going to start a new career. I'm going to learn some new things. I'm going to take a temporary lifeboat job that Mark suggested. Um, but you got to keep trying till you find it. And I guess, Mark, you probably find in your, I bet you you find in the people you coach is that some are fortunate and find something right out of the gate. You know, like, oh my gosh, this just worked out. I pivot into something and I love it even more than I love my first job. Or some people just try and try and try and try and it takes a long time and they finally find it but not so easy. And you get then everyone in between. But I bet you the common denominator is if people understand that this is not gonna be easy, try to get past the fear, the anxiety, and just, just, just say, hey, all right, I got a, it's a do-over and I'm gonna make it work. And I bet you those are the kind of people who succeed, right? Yeah. it's. Again, it comes down to we are experiencing in this economy and in this pandemic something we've never experienced before. And so therefore, um, going, uh, it, again, it comes to that growth mindset. This is a problem I got to go solve. Mm -hmm. Let's go solve it. And, and those people who take that approach and, 
And the other piece here is, um, you know, I grew up, you know, Apollo 13, failure is not an option. Mm -hmm. And when I graduated from college in the 70s, if I, if you couldn't find a job, you were a screw up. Mm -hmm. And now, in fact, I was just on a podcast. I was interviewed for a podcast this weekend by two guys out of Silicon Valley. You know, they're in their 30s and it's fail off and fail fast. Yeah. No, that's, you got to go try. Exactly. There's no shame in that at all. I mean, I'll I'll put it with my own business. This has been a weird year, you know, for book sales, website traffic, um, podcast downloads. It's been a weird year as things go. Mm And, um, and it's just like, okay, what am I learning from this? And, you know, I could, there, you know, there, I could easily say, screw it. I'm just going to go retire. But no, these are, these are fun problems to solve. They stretch me. Um, that's great. You know what? I think that's a good way to, to kind of wrap it up in the sense that we're in the past. Yeah. People look, Oh, you failed. And there's a, there's, there's a stigma attached to it, but I think we've trans that to go to a place now where that's okay. It's a learning experience. And I think even more so in a pandemic, it's also you have the liberty to try things and do things and fail and fail again and try and fail till you find until you, you know you learn from the different things and you and you find that right thing that's right for you. And that's kind of almost healthy because from speak you, you as you mentioned, a record high level of people are, are, are starting up businesses in one form or another. So, yeah, this is a thing. So whether it's and the same thing applies to your career, you keep trying and trying. If this one one doesn't work, try something else. If 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 you fail, you keep trying. And then after a while, eventually, you'll find the right thing. So, I think you know. I think well, the study is really good because it shows that yeah, there's a lot of angst, but at the same time, there's a lot of things you could fight back against it, and a lot of things you could do to make your life better. And actually, hopefully, I think for most people, if maybe they put into place your suggestions, your ideas, your guidance, that they could even be better off than they were before. Yeah. So I think that's really healthy. And I really appreciate your insights. And it's really cool because you're coming, as we said at the beginning of the call, you know, you're coming from a place that you've been at IBM for a couple of decades plus. You've been at startups. You're in engineering. You're, you're a trainer. So that your perspective cuts across so many different disciplines that you're able to kind of have these, you know, you've been through it. So you could share that. So it's not like you just, a lot of people just have never lived it. And they're like, oh, here's what you could do. You lived it. So you know what it's like. So when you're talking to people, it's real, it's authentic, not just theory. So, so I think who, when people listen to this, they could really appreciate this is, this is grounded in a life well spent big companies, small companies, startups, traditional big blue, trying all different things and keep trying and keep trying and keep moving forward. And that's, and that's what makes life fun. You just look at it that way. So I really appreciate your advice, your guidance, your suggestions. And I think a lot of people will benefit from it. So thank you so much, Mark. Hey, no problem. Excellent. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the WeCruiter podcast. If you want to check out other great content from WeCruiter, make sure to visit us at WeCruiter.io. That's W-E-C-R-U-I-C-R dot I-O. 
We offer tons of great resources for job seekers and professionals, so make sure to check us out today.